Hello. Hello, Merlin man. Good morning, Dan. How are you? How are you doing today? I'm good, y'all. Y'all squared away? Squared away, shored up, mm-hmm. filed, papers. Hmm. Were you having automotive problems? No, automotive problems resolved. Oh, but you, okay. So, so you just did it for the recreational value? Just, yeah, I like hanging out in the, you know, in the dealerships. A little bit of Dan time at the dealership. A little private time, a little alone time. It's one place mm. I feel truly myself. Hmm. How are you <laughs> way up there in uh, San Francisco? San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. You want to get your cards together for a minute? No, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. <laughs> um, it's a good day, you know, a little rainy. You I, know? I got to get to see this movie you're, you're talking about, The Guardians. <laughs> What? Oh, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you got you to go see that. It's, it's, we went and saw it a second time. It's really great. I saw a little clip where they show the one bad guy and then what looks like a little other dancing guy. I think this is on this uh, Kung Fu Gripes. Oh, yeah, yeah. He wasn't a bad guy. He's a guardian. Oh, he's a and guardian. Then you, you got Groot. That's Groot. That's a baby Groot. A baby Groot. Well, yeah, because all you need is a little bit of Groot, and you can grow him in a pot. Ooh, what? Really? He, he's a renewable uh, resource. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not, I got to say, I am not one of those very nice people who is, like, adamantly against 3D. Like, we've got a 3D TV, and sometimes we watch 3D stuff, like SBS, and it's real good. Uh, but, you know, um, I, if, if it were my decision, I would say see this on, see Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. in my opinion, on a really big screen, doesn't have to be IMAX, but a really big screen, not in 3D. Because there, there, it, it is visually, you know, I, I like to let people discover things for themselves, but it is really visually stunning. It's, it's really, people are always wanting to compare things to Star Wars, but it's very evocative of that same feeling I had from Star Wars, both in the sense of being like, wow, this really looks like space. Space, like cool space, but also that as soon as it was over, I want to see it again. That yeah. says a lot. That says a lot about a movie that you can go and see it, and then you want to see it again soon. Yeah, you know, I'm reminded of what people have said and thought of uh, John Byrne in the fa- in the past, or you know, certainly. Oh, the Talking you know, Heads guy. Mm-hmm. Yep, the guy in the big suit. He he uh, he got. I think you know, correctly, got a, a lot of great credit and, acc- and acclaim in the 70s, especially for his run with uh, Chris Claremont on... Uh, Dave Cochran was great too, but, you know, it was Chris Claremont on the, like, the classic X-Men. But, you know, in the 80s, he got he got silly, and he, he would do fun stuff, and he would do, like, the... I think he did the first, like, v- before Dan Slott, he did the first, like, very funny, self-referential, break-the-fourth-wall version of She-Hulk. But the thing about John Byrne... Oh, right, 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 yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And when like she was a law- a lawyering up. She's lawyering up. She represents superheroes and she, I think she was still a superhero lawyer then. But anyway, but like I, I'm reminded of John Byrne because like I, I don't mean this as a criticism, but like part, part of what makes me sour on comics from time to time is that the fans take it so seriously. And sometimes it feels like the companies behind the comics I don't want to say they take it not seriously, but maybe they take it too too seriously too. But in terms of like all the tie-ins and all the stuff. And you know what? It should be fun. So for the last however many months or even a year now, I've found myself really attracted to comics that are fun. They could be good. They could have cosmic stuff. They could be even serious, but they get that they're a goddamn comic book. Yeah. And that it it doesn't need to be entirely wound up 
in this giant arc and the giant franchise. And I, I don't want to say anything against any of the other Marvel films because I've loved a lot of them a lot. And, you know, I own almost all of them, like bought with money. And, but it's like after watching Guardians of the Galaxy, you go back and even watch even the Avengers, which is such a fun film. You're like, man, the, you know, I wish half of Marvel's movies could be this fun, you know? or Sony's, or Fox's, or whoever's. But you know what I mean? Like, I, I watched uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 the other night. I got, like, a third of the way into it, and I was like, this is well done, but it's not fun. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, it's like, I, doing, I it's like doing homework. Right. Like, you got to sit there and, like, okay, you got to go through the origin. This is how Electro gets going here. And now we, we know there's got to be the whole arc, you know, we trudge through with, you know, um, Gwen and him. And I, you know, it was good. It was fine. But it wasn't magic, you know? And and the thing about Guardians of the Galaxy, I think for, you know, however, 90, high 90% of the population who go to see this movie, they're going to know the trailer and they're going to know the songs from the 70s and they're going to know the lady from uh, Doctor Who and the dude from Parks and Rec, but they don't have the baggage of having to figure out like, oh, so that guy who's in the Nova Corps is the guy who actually came to Earth and gave his powers to Richard Brown. No, don't worry, don't worry. Just go see the movie. Like, it's fun. You don't need, don't, you don't need to think about this a lot. It's really, anyway, I don't oversell it. It's a very popular movie, but I always feel like if there's something that you particularly love that really grabs you, mm -hmm. it's worth talking about, you know? So it's, uh, it's pretty violent. You know, there's a lot of shooting. There's a raccoon with a gun who's very, very smart. Enough about that. I watched that. You know what I did last night? So did you have any remarks on that? Are you going to go see it? I, w I would very much like to see it. My my kid starts uh, school, you know, like next week. And I was thinking what a fun, like, surprise would be, like, sneak away from work uh, this week and just bust out a, you know, time to see a movie with him. No one, can, no one can say a thing about it. I mean, it's... Can't say a thing. Yeah. No, that's what we did last week. Our, our daughter started school yesterday. So that's what we did last week. Went and saw a movie in uh, like 11.30 uh, on a weekday just because that's the kind of hobos we are. Um, you go over to the, uh, you got the Fandango. You can go to Fandango. Fandango. Go to Fandango. It's Hobo the U Uber for movie theaters. That's right. They literally, a college student with no insurance brings it to your home. <laughs> yeah, you hit a button. Also, and... here's some 60 degree milk. <laughs> oh, God. With 60 degrees, Dan. Do you, are you doing the pizza thing now? Uh, no, we talked about that. I, I, I mean, but I have you, I, it's been a week. I figured that maybe you were, you I don't, know. I don't eat a lot of pizza. We get a gluten-free pizza from Goat Hill, but that's, uh, that's about it. What did you call me? Uh, Goat Hill. I'm sorry. Uh, first time, first time animal. <laughs> the, uh, Goat Hill pizza makes a pretty good gluten-free crust that I, that our family enjoys. I had some gluten-free, uh, coffee cake today. It was pretty good. The downside of a uh, gluten-free pizzas here in Austin is that they all source from the same place to get their crust. And they got the same crust source. Same source. And unfortunately, also for Austin as a whole, as good as we do with barbecue and tacos and s stuff like that you've heard about, the mm -hmm. pizza here is not good. There is a home slice. Grace, is it home slice? Uh, <laughs> but I think it's home slice uh, pizza or something they call it, which is supposed to be. But I can't eat that. Not gluten free. So I, I wouldn't know. But you the know, sauce and the cheese is nothing special here in Austin. I totally agree. I think it's uh, like the project management uh, triangle. You got you got tacos, you got pizza, you got Chinese food. <laughs> Pick one. Like every area is probably maybe capable of getting one of those right. But there are very, very few places outside of, well, I mean, are there, are there a lot of great tacos in Manhattan? I mean, I know you can get great Chinese food, you can get great pizza. But um, 
Boy, a lot of places fall down on the Chinese food. I'm a big fan of the Chinese food, many varieties of Chinese food. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, you know, I think owing to the fact that a lot of places don't have a large Chinese population, I think you tend to get a lot of the chow mein type situations. Mm, Yeah. That's a pain. Now I'd love to have tacos there someday. I've been having kind of a taco renaissance. I've been returning to tacos. I've been I've been returning. See now, burritos make me want to go to sleep. I love a burrito, <laughs> but to me, that's like KFC. Yeah, just have a big food baby and a nap. That's no good. <laughs> so I well I I've, I've been thinking. I know that I mean it's your show. We do you know what you want to do. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but remember a few weeks ago, uh, I wanted to tell you that story. You had a story. It's on my li- literally look. Literally, I wrote it down right here. Dan's story. Okay. Do you want me to tell you the story? I'd say another good movie to see. Yeah, please. John Carpenter's The Thing. The original ninth, thing. Ninth, well, eh, there's a Howard Hawks version in like the diddly diddly 50s, but uh, I think, but 1982, Kurt Russell, Snake Plissken. I thought you were dead. Snake Plissken is in it. Well, not Snake Plissken, the actor. The, uh, the guy who's not Jeff Bridges. The guy from the Disney movies. What's his name? Robbie Coltrane? What's his name? Who am I thinking of? Jeff Goldblum. Who's the guy? Kurt, uh, Kurt Gibson. Is that his name? Is he the pitcher? I think you're thinking of Kurt Cobain. Is it Christy, Christy Matthewson? Kurt Cobain uh, was a big fan of the band The Raincoats. And, uh, and so anyway, it's a terrific movie. I watched it last night. I got to tell you, I forgot how good that movie is. I sat there and I watched it. I, I talked on Twitter about it. I liked it so much. It was so good. R- Wilfred Brimley, no mustache. I don't want to make no spoilers here. But, but it's, it, I'm just going to say, yes, Guardians of the Galaxy, go. But uh, The Thing, 1982, not the new one, not the super old one. But uh, that's all, I, I have nothing else about that, except that I really enjoyed it. The two scenes I remember from The Thing as a kid watching this, I remember the scene with the head sprouting little legs. Whew. And then I remember the scene where they're trying to see who, who is Thing and who is not Thing. Oh, with the blood? With the blood in the Petri that's dishes. so good. Those are the two things that have stuck with me for the last, you know, I, Like I said years. last night, I tooted this last night. I mean, that Alaskan Malamute from the first 15 minutes in the movie, I, I don't even care what else was out in 1982. Well, you got World According to Garp, you got, uh, he should have won a special Oscar. He or she, I don't want to be normative. That Malamute <laughs> should have won something. That dog was intense, even before its face, uh, face sprouted open, no spoilers. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Um. Dan, you had a story on your mind in your neck of the woods a couple weeks ago, and I, I wanted to encourage you to, to share your story with the, with the listeners. All right. So the, the best stories I've found are the ones that paint the storyteller out in, in, in a, a self-deprecating way. Hmm. Would you agree with that? Because hmm. this story, that's the only way it can be told. Oh no, I I I prefer to always look good in my stories. I wouldn't tell them otherwise. Okay. Well, I don't I don't look so good in this one, but maybe you can help me understand why. Mm-hmm. Because this is this is a story that I think hits at the core of what this show has been about for the last hundred and whatever we're up to seventy million. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was actually on the last trip where I was going to uh, San. I think I was going to San Francisco, and I had an early flight out. And, uh, so I was on my way to the airport. I had, uh, I had packed ahead of time the night before there was nothing left to do in the morning, but you know, the suitcase, uh, right in front of the door, like we always talk about everything done. So I was not rushing. I was not in a hurry, I had plenty of time to get to my flight. Everything was just perfect. 
And uh, you'll see why I mention that, because the, the fact that I was not rushing was important. You'd like to get your ducks in a row and know you're doing the right thing. That's a Dan, that's a Dan situation. Yeah, I, don't, I, I find that it helps relieve any additional anxiety to just know that everything's thought through beforehand. I've got lists, you know, of what you I need to I pack. don't think one does not have to be a compulsive person to want to do that, but it helps. I'm that way too. I will have plenty to worry about no matter what. So if I at least know that the like the 17 things that I wrote on this list are checked off, I can yeah. at least have a moment of peace. That's right. Like, and, and I, I have pretty much after you, if you don't travel a lot, I think there's a lot of, oh man, what am I going to bring? You know what? I'm going to bring three pairs of shoes. And I'm gonna, well, I don't, I travel enough and we've, we talked about this. I forget which episode, uh, but you know, like I have the little, uh, the toiletry bag is pretty much ready to go. And when I use something up, I replace it and it just sits there in the drawer and it's ready. So I know that when I need to go on a trip, I'm not, oh, I need to, wait, do I have a toothbrush to take? Do I have tooth? No, it's just in there. And so, you know, that eliminates a lot of the stress and everything was packed, ready to go. So I put it all in the car, say goodbye to my, uh, to my family and, uh, and, uh, you know, get everything, uh, ready. So it's in the car. I, I go and I'm driving and we live up on this, this, this hill. I drive down the hill and at the base of the hill, you you uh you you turn right and that leads you out to the main road and again there was not rushing there was plenty of time in fact i was probably had too much time and so i i get down to the end uh it's the road that leads to the main road and this will also be important in a minute so it's a stop sign and i drive slow in the neighborhood because there's even early in the morning this was 6:30 in the morning there's still potential for a kid to run out or something so i drive and then uh, I, I get to the end and there's a, a gentleman on a, you know, what, uh, one of those sort of 12, 16 speed type bikes. He's dressed up in the, you know, the tight lady pants and he's got the racing shirt on <laughs> and uh, he's, you know, he's clearly out for an early morning bike ride. And so I, I see him there and he's going one way, I'm going the other way. So what? Mm. And so I'm stopped and he's crossing in, in front. So I stop and I, and I, you know, and there is that moment of, well, we both kind of got there at the same time. So who, who goes first technically? Well, he's sort of going straight. So the law says that he goes first. And when there's somebody on a bike, you're supposed to treat them like a vehicle. They're treated like a vehicle on the road. So I'm, I stop and there's that moment. He's looking at me. I look at him. I kind of nod. He's has the right way. Anyway, he goes. And then I perform the turn and I'm driving and he's doing one of these things where he's over to the side. He's not really pedaling. He's just kind of like using this, the slow decline of the road to power him down the road. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. He's, yeah, he's coasting, gliding or gliding. Co- coasting, as you say. Yeah. Coasting, Matt Howie style. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so again, not anything aggressive about this. I, I see that he's coasting and I think to myself, perhaps, perhaps he wants me to go around him on the left side, plenty of room to do that. So again, all within very much within the speed limit, I uh, give him plenty of wide berth and, and go slowly past him where I'm now at the stoplight that puts us onto the main big road. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, let's see, did I, I remember to do this thing. And I think I'm a American airline, this flight. And, you know, I'm at look up at the stop, the stoplight is red. And I'm looking at my phone to make sure that the, you know, uh, the uh, flight is on time and everything else. So then I uh, sense a presence 
to the you know, by my driver's side window. I sent I sense a, a presence, and I I look over and it's the guy, mm. and uh, I'm like, okay, this is already. You know how you sense from someone that there's like bad vibes, like anger. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I could totally sense that from him. So I quickly replay everything that just happened, and I'm like. Did I do something wrong here? Like, was passing him? Did he interpret that as a, some kind of aggressive thing? A lot of bike, and I, I hate to make a generalization, but a lot of bikers, bike riders, f- you know, feel already that they've been mistreated by cars because they're not given the right of way or they're passed wrongly or whatever. So all of this is flashing through my mind, and before I can even like really respond, he, I want to say I would say bangs, but it's more like punching on the window. Like, boom, boom, boom. And then he says, and I'm going to truncate the word for radio. He says, hey, a-hole. And so at this point, I'm like, I'm just not going to respond to him at all because it's bad now. And he continues to sort of pound on my window. And then the light changed and I drove and I got on my flight and went to San Francisco and we hung out. So... That's the story, but there's so much in this that I wanted to talk to you about because I don't understand. First, I like I feel like even though I, as far as I can tell, I didn't do anything wrong. I feel like I did something wrong. I feel like I didn't. I should have responded to him somehow, but I was worried that uh, like opening my window or engaging with him would have been worse. And like what? What did I miss here? What What was going on? Why was he so angry at me? When nothing, as far as I know, could have possibly happened there that would have caused that. Was that, well, a, is that uh, a, a, a second arrow kind of thing or what? Well, what do, you, what do you imagine? Like in the most sort of logical way, what do you imagine he was mad about? I think he had to have been mad because he felt like, even though he was sort of coasting on the side of the road, that, in, in, that he felt... Uh, abused in some way by me passing around him and 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 like in his mind i'm not respecting him or respecting the roads or treating him like a vehicle or something like that right where does the anger that would cause you to i've never been so angry that i felt it would be justified to literally i mean maybe i'm exaggerating here but it seemed to me like he was trying to break the window you know that was the kind of force that he was exerting banging on on the window well, it's, it's really hard to know without, you know, having seen there, seen it or having been there. Um, I, I, this I is weird know. though, right? Like, and it really, it like, it like was a, like, you don't have enough to worry about when you're, you know, going traveling now. It, like this sets a weird tone for everything. Well, I mean, I'm a hundred percent sympathetic uh, just because it's, it's never fun to be treated that way. And, not, not only not maybe know why, but to not feel like you did anything wrong. And, you know, but, you know, not, not, not that this guy was, was right or had a reason, which he may have, I don't know, but something really provoked him and was in a situation where there wasn't anything where he was going to like even try and help you understand that you had done something untoward. It was, he was already at the point of escalated anger and I I wouldn't stop either. How do you get to that escalation level I get that way all the time I get that way all the time I've been I mean I I I feel like I've been definitely been on on both sides of that 100% I mean I I I I don't 
I have no idea what to say in terms of why that would happen the way it did because it's, you know, I don't know what happened. But I mean, when, when I'm crossing the street, especially if I'm with my kid or we're getting off the streetcar, like, you know, there's one thing that I, is a real, like, one way in which I am bike guy is that in San Francisco, when you get off a street, so that you got streetcars, which are these long things that you can, you know, big trolleys that you can hear in the background going by my office here. And when, uh, when a streetcar stops and the brake lights go on, Cars are legally supposed to stop before ever crossing the axis of the end of the train. Okay. To provide a berth of a car lane for people to be able to get off the streetcar. And these are, you know, in order for you to get a streetcar line, it has to be a pretty busy street. So, you know, it it's uh I some people know that, some people don't. Some people know that, many people know that and are fast and loose with it anyway. I have been, everybody has been fast and loose with that. You'll watch to see if the doors on the streetcar are going to open to like have an indication of whether, you know, you got a life to do. You got, you got things to do. You got, you got things on your mind. But, you know, there have been, it, it's not more than two weeks go by that we're not almost killed by somebody getting off the streetcar because that's just the thing that happens. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And so you have ways to deal with that. You, you know, and not everybody knows to be that careful. People, there are people who are slow. There are people with strollers. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, be like an advocate about this, except to say, I get how people could get that mad. And I'll, and I'll tell you why I, I, I think that way. Um, so like I do stuff, like I kind of like put my backpack and my arm out of the door. I'll look obviously before we get out, but then I'll sort of also like, Hey, look, there's people here. We're about to walk out. And, and so you know, it'd be one thing if I was just getting mad at people for no reason. But in that case, I really do wish people would learn that there's a consequence to them trying to shave a couple seconds off their drive. Um, I mean, even more than doing a California stop at a stop sign, there's real consequences to that. And I get super mad because if my, if my kid died a block from my oh, house God. because somebody like, you know, really wanted, wanted to get a, a steak or something, that would be super frustrating. So I, I, I overreact to that by design. I, if that happens, I look directly at the person and I yell in an extremely loud voice because I want that to make an impression on them. And I want the people around me to see that that's happening because that's, that person probably, maybe they didn't know, maybe they didn't care, but it does have a consequence. So I'm not, I'm not trying to explain away what that person did. I'm just saying I've been at least as mad as that person and, 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 you know, and then the thing is you're on this elevated streetcar, so you can look out the window and you will see people who have their phone in their lap while they're driving along beside a streetcar where a bunch of like 80 year old Chinese ladies are trying to get out. And it's like, you know, so yeah. anyway, I'm not trying to explain to me what that person did, but, uh, um, do you, do you think that it was, um, it, it, that that it was a perception thing where he felt because what you're describing is you feel like human lives are are being endangered due to potentially reckless driving and that's something that I always try to be very aware of. I mean, I've got two small kids. If you're a parent of kids, period, but especially of small kids, you're very aware that I'm driving. A B. I'm driving in a neighborhood. C. Kids live, you know what I'm saying? Like this yeah. should be going through your mind and I'm not like nobody's perfect and I'm, I'm anything but a perfect driver. But I, like I've consciously remember like I was being careful. Do you know what I mean? And, I, I, I and don't that's the part that gets me. Like yeah. if, if I was okay. like, oh, crap, I'm late for my flight. And, you know, I, I know I got rush hour and I got to do this fan. I'm not paying attention. I'm looking at my phone. Like, yeah. 
I'm not saying that that uh, humans haven't been in that situation. This wasn't that. Okay. And so I'm wondering if – but so the, the bigger point behind this is – and then we get into how I handled this. Not not engaging with the guy probably was a good idea safety-wise for me. Um, but this – the reaction to this was like this screwed with me as I'm like – Already yeah, you, start, you start replaying that tape. Right. And like yeah. now I need that on top of everything else that's going on. And, you know, I, the whole time I'm thinking about it, I'm like this whole this whole instance of like, well, how, how can I can I mitigate my own response to this in some way? Can I shrug it off uh, and say like, eh, you know, who cares? I'm I'm all, I'm on to I, the I next thing. I couldn't. Gonna, I couldn't. There's not going to be a satisfying answer for this. I mean, because because here's there are two very general directions that you can you can go with this. One is that you really screwed up and didn't know it, which is going to be very uncomfortable to you. Or the other one is you didn't screw up and you still feel really bad about it. There's not there's not really any way out of this. I'm, I'll just toss out one thing, and I imagine that the laws are extremely different there. I will tell you, I have, I have been frustrated by this, but this is a thing. The law here is that if you are a bike on the road, you get the whole lane. And there's no such thing as crossing unless you, and there's no such thing as passing unless you would pass it in exactly the same way you could pass a car with like a dash line, not a solid line. Yeah. But if it's anywhere, just, I mean, I don't know if the law is like that there. It probably, let's assume it is because I, I, it probably is. But I mean, that can be super frustrating if you're on a big, like you're, like for example, I mean, if you go somewhere like Marin Headlands and there's a lot of people riding bikes around, I think, you know, you've, you'd be crazy to go there and think it's all about making good time, like relax. But it can be very frustrating if there's a line of 40 cars behind one guy going up a hill who has, as they say, claim the lane. And But that's that's his right. Whether I like that or not, right. he's not germane. But if I did cross him, he'd have every, every, every reason to be mad because I was... There's all kinds of cockamamie stuff like that here. Like, you know, do you guys have lane splitting in Texas for, for motorcycles? Oh, uh, what is that? <laughs> Man, the first time you see this, if you're not prepared for it, you're driving down 280 or, or you know 101, and suddenly a crotch rocket flies between two cars, like right over the dotted yellow line, because uh, I guess it's a California law. Yeah, you you can it's called lane splitting, and so if you can safely do it, a motorcycle is allowed to ride between two cars to pass. Like, like literally, like ride between, like you can effectively, and really? some guys, of course, then basically ride on the dotted line going through. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No. And the first time that happens, you're, if you're from, you know, Florida or anywhere, you're like, what was that? But that's the thing. So I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I, I'll talk about any aspect you want, but I don't think you're going to find a satisfactorily, satisfactory resolution to like why it happened and whether you were right. Don't you think? I mean, how would you know if you, you yeah. sound pretty confident that you did the right thing? Well, I'm 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 confident. Uh, oh, so here's what I'm confident about. I'm confident that I don't know. I, I don't know that I did the right thing. I probably didn't do the right thing. He probably knew something that I didn't know. In other words, he knew that if he's going in that lane at all, that the whole lane is his and that what I have passed another car in that situation, I can I can say, no, I would not have passed another car. There, I believe that it's a split, you know, line in the center and that you could, but I probably would have just sat behind the slow car. Uh, we're talking about a stretch of road that's, you know, uh, it's, it's a quarter of a mile, you know, or if that, it's a short distance and there's nobody else around anywhere. I wouldn't have passed the other car because I wasn't in that much of a hurry. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have just sat behind the slow car to go to the light and sat at the light, not because it would have been unsafe to not pass the other car, just because it was slow. And I'm like, eh, all right, I'll just sit behind him. It's not worth it. But with this, it seemed like he was wanting it. So whether I did the right thing or the wrong thing, though, it made me on the on the drive after that to the airport, I was really thinking to myself, regardless of who was right or who was wrong, like the whole concept of how do we react to these things? How did, could he have reacted a different way? Could I have reacted or mitigated my reaction to what he did and made it not be so upsetting? You know what I mean? Because it was like, you feel, you it upsets you when something like that happens, you know? And at the same time, like, I used to ride a bike a lot when I was younger, a lot, like, you know, bike ride, a long bike ride every day. Uh, And, you know, like he could have, he also, right, whether I, what I did was right or wrong, he could have let it go. Why, what made him decide, I'm not saying he should have let it go, but I'm saying like there was something in him that, that took him to that point of anger and then deciding to engage physically he could have tried to communicate to me without the anger. And if he had, I probably would have talked to him about it. Like if he had just like, instead of the banging with his fist on the window, if he had just done a little, Hey dude, you cut me off, man. My response would have been like, Oh, I'm sorry. But because his reaction was so angry and so personal and so close and so confrontational, like, how else could I have reacted? I'm not I'm not going to pop out of my car, you know, and grab the baseball bat. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's it was just such a strange. And uh, to be honest, I'm not used to that kind of confrontation and, and reaction border bordering on physical kind of confrontation. Like, I'm not used to that. Yeah, no, it's, it's extremely upsetting, um, especially if you don't know why it's happening. The I, I don't I don't. I don't in any way want to sound unsympathetic or that I'm trying to like say you did anything wrong. Cause I don't know, but you know, I'm reminded something that goes through my mind when, you know, you know, my thing with uh, social media where I pr- would prefer not to argue with people publicly about things. I think there's a lot of reasons why that's just kind of a, a good idea. Uh, I don't, it doesn't make me feel good to argue with people. I don't like being confrontational. I don't like having to explain myself or asking other people to explain themselves, especially in these postage stamp size missives to each other. Right. But, but there's a phrase that, um, you could, you could say this is about privilege. You could say this is about power. You could say this is about a lot of things. There's a phrase that's gone through my head for the last year or so that has stood me in good stead, um, which is remember who has the cannon. So when the thing is, if, if you're somebody with a lot of followers on Twitter or you're somebody with a late night talk show or you're somebody with a very large car as compared to a small bike, right. it's important to remember that your perception of things and how you respond to it is going to be massively amplified based on whether you have the cannon. So if somebody says something completely ludicrous to me uh, and unkind or cruel or stupid – and I respond as cuttingly as I can, I'm going to be the asshole. Even though I was quote unquote right. And the reason is because I've got the cannon. And having the cannon comes, it's a power and responsibility type situation. Not, not necessarily with your car, but I'm just saying, I think whenever we're trying to understand why somebody, I'm trying desperately not to make this about current events. Um, 
But when we're trying to understand why somebody seems to be reacting very violently yeah. to something, I think it's always important to remember that maybe, maybe they are crazy. Maybe they are unhinged. Maybe they are deficient uh, emotionally or in their intelligence, but they probably thought they had a good reason to be that mad. And sometimes, whether it's because of our number of Twitter followers or the size of our car, we may not even have noticed what we did because we've got the cannon and the cannon makes a loud bang. So does that analogy make sense? I'm not saying it's totally appropriate, but there's been times I've done so much of the same crap that I get mad at other people about, like driving around or I've been careless. I mean, it's, it's back to that whole thing of like, you know, we tend to think that whatever we're dealing with right now and what's on our mind and what, our, what we're doing in the moment is the most important thing in the world and everybody else is kind of in our way. Um, so I, I'm as guilty of that as anybody. But that's the, that's the only thing is that you may have done, let, let me put it this way, and here's, here's, here's ready for disappointment. You may have done everything perfectly. Mm. You may not have actually broken a law. It could be that guy's cat, he just found out his cat has leukemia. Right. And, or, he, or he may have previously been run off the road by somebody in a really nice German car. Right. And he's got, a, he's got a chip on his shoulder. Right. But, no, but, but however but, it led to that, he thought he had his reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and there may have been nothing in the world you could do to make that any better. But he probably had some reason to think that you needed to be straightened out. And uh, I think did, you did the right thing by leaving. I think you, I would have left too. Yeah. I, I just, I think, you know, but, but. So for me, when I'm a lot of the time when I'm driving, and I learned this from our, our friend uh, up in in your neighborhood, Gil uh, Fronstall and Redwood City IMC, he he said something like, you know, sometimes I'm driving, and there will be somebody in front of me who's driving really really slow, or somebody who passes me and cuts me off, and he says, you know, the first reaction we have is like, you jerk, what did you do that for? But he says, you know, he'll remind himself to think that, you know, maybe that person is racing to the hospital to check on a loved one or maybe, you know, maybe they're uh, incredibly sad and that's why they're driving. So like we don't know what's going on with that person. And I, I hearken back to, you know, when I was a kid doing the, the you know, learning the, to drive driving school stuff, the an instructor that that I had one time was saying like if there's somebody who's driving crazy or driving in a way that makes you nervous or that you don't like, like the best thing you can possibly do is let them get in front of you so that they're someone else's problem. Essentially, yeah, it's the, you know, defensive driving. Yeah, that they have, that they they're speeding, they're tailgating. Great, let them go by. Let get do whatever you can do. Pull pull over, turn whatever to let this person go and 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 get out of the way. And, you know, and uh, so I will very very frequently, especially again in my neighborhood, like. As I'm driving, like the speed limit's like 35. I'll go 35. And if there's somebody who wants to go, you know what? I'll pull over to the side and let them go. And then I'll pull back out once they're past me if they want to, you know, tailgate me the whole time. I don't care. Like, get right. away. It's, let them be. But now, I'm, but that, he was emotional and that made you emotional. And when we right. get emotional, it's hard. It's hard to think straight. And it's very natural to want to just not feel that bad anymore. So, I, I mean, I... I'm not just sitting here and being calm and going, oh, Dan, Dan. No, I'm the same way. I mean, I would be just as flustered as you are and just not knowing what you even did wrong, you know? But, you know, there's there's this part of me, and I can't decide whether this makes me an existentialist or a nihilist or, or merely a psychotic, but I've come to accept that there's just a lot of stuff I can't understand or won't understand. That 
you know, that there may be an answer for something. Maybe I've read too many books. Maybe I've given up hope. But Mm -hmm. I I just, I've learned to realize (laughs) that, like, it's not really important for me to understand whether that person was disabled, whether that person was drunk, whether that person was rushing to uh, save uh, a basket full of kittens with cancer. Like, the thing is, I'll never know that. And if I did know that, it still wouldn't be the whole story. It would be an anecdote at that point. It would be a turns out story. But I, there's just so much stuff that you can't, understand in the world and like my only consolation from that is something that i again i fail at pretty much about every 45 minutes which is trying to remember who i want to be and that trying to con- bring that forward in my mind sometimes helps me handle that better and sometimes helps me be the defensive driver rather than the road rage guy i mean like i, I in florida i've had people like pull tire irons on me and stuff like that for stuff like i'm like what what is wrong what is what is causing this but i feel like you could really drive yourself crazy trying to figure out why people act the way that they do but that doesn't make us you know and the, 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 finally the, not finally i don't not the end of the story but just another observation is i think you really are a person who wants to do the right thing um and it's it seems like it is very important to you that you not be seen to be doing the wrong thing. And that's like a, I don't know if you call that a value or a vanity, but it seems to me that that's the kind of thing where if there's anything that pretty quickly strikes to your identity, like who you are, like it's something where you go, you get blamed for something you didn't do. That that really gets your goat. Well, yeah, no, it definitely does. And, uh, you know, I think that um, I'm more lawful neutral than lawful good in that way. Um but I definitely feel like, you know, that that there that if I were to have a code or something, um, you know, I I always try to 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 do the thing that that causes the least amount of, uh, and I use this word in the most broad definition possible, the least amount of harm. Uh, I always try to do that, and I try to think uh, whenever I'm doing something is. Is the thing that I'm doing going to create harm? And if if it's not going to, then I'll do it and then look back on it and say, did, did that in fact create harm? No, then that's probably the thing I should do next time. And it, I guess it does. It, 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 my main reaction was almost just surprise. Like I was surprised that he had uh, the, the the reaction that he did. I was surprised that what I – did could have been perceived as being the wrong thing to do. And, and again, like I was, you know, I'm so used to dealing with people where they don't have really strong, besides my kids, where they don't have really strong reactions to things, you know, like I, and maybe we all kind of live in this world where something like that falls so far outside of the the kinds of reactions from people that I'm used to dealing with. And I think that means we all live in a pretty good world you know but like it's upsetting it's very upsetting yeah and like like you're you're, you know i'm used to like dealing with people where i say please and they say thank you and you know someone lets you in a lane and you wave to them and like you know not just in the the world of driving but just in the regular day-to-day you know we hold doors for each other and you know it it seems like there's this civilized world that that i'm in 99 percent of the time and it's that other one percent that's so jarring when you realize that wow it's not always like that, even in the neighborhood that you live in at 630 in the morning when, like, there's a guy riding a bike and you're in a car. Um, I want to talk more about cars and privileges and canons 
Uh, but could you tell me about something you like? I think we have sponsors today. We do. We've got a few of them. And I would like to, uh, to tell you about uh, uh, one called Harry's. And these guys uh, make razors. They make really nice razors, actually. And they make them very, very affordable. Uh, you know, they, th- this read I have here, it talks a lot about guys. And like, the, you know, Harry's, I think, is targeted toward guys. But in the past, when I've talked about this, it, we, we found here on this show that, uh, that the women enjoy these razors just as much as, as guys. So I'll try to swap that out. But Harry's, these are the guys that started Warby Parker and they wanted to, uh, they wanted to come up with razors that, uh, had a really nice, ex- nice shave, but that you could buy affordably. They had bad experiences going to buy razors and they thought, you know what, these razors that you buy in the convenience stores, they're, they kind of suck and they're really expensive and we can do better. So that's and you what, gotta go. You gotta do. go get a guy, Dan. I don't want to take over your your, your no, read, but you it. gotta go. Uh, thank you, first time shaver. You gotta go <laughs> if it's Walgreens. You gotta go and you gotta get a guy or a gal to come over with the key and they they lock open it the up. plastic thing. It's all locked up. Locked it's up. It's all locked up. It's a lockbox. Lockbox. And uh, and so this is what they do. They they come out with uh, with these blades. They were working with this German factory because they make the best uh, blades at this factory that they could find. And they they liked them so much they bought the factory. So now they they own this factory in Germany that makes these amazing blades. Fraction of the cost, half the cost I think on these blades. And uh, and they've got a really good deal. So this is what I recommend people get. They've got a little a little kit for fifteen bucks. You get a razor. You get this awesome shaving cream, and you get three razor blades. You know why pay like thirty two bucks. That's how much it costs for an eight pack of blades, half the price at Harry's. And, uh, and on average, if you shave, uh, you know, reasonably frequently, you're going to save 150 bucks a year. And, uh, so this is, this is what they do. They have these wonderful little kits. If you, if you want to get fancy, you can get a little engraving on it, get your initials engraved on it, give it as a gift to, uh, to, to the person you love the most in the world, whatever you want. And they get a special $5 coupon here. That you can use the the coupon is comics because that's what the show is about. Yes, and uh, if you use comics, you're going to get five bucks off at Harry's dot com. H a r r y s dot com. Harry's dot com. So go and uh, go I, and do I know likewise. I'm a user. You know, I'm a user. I'm a heavy user. I just I dropped for uh, two of their four packs about a week ago. Oh, nice. And now uh, my daughter has made me swear to shave a little more often now that I have them. I was frantic because I had cleared out like a lot of, you know, you get the detritus in the, in the shaving area. I just cleared out all of my handles and I couldn't find them. And I found my Harry's handle and now order has been restored and I can kiss my daughter without making her cry. Oh, nice. For now. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a great service. And I mean, they, they, don't they come out to be like two bucks each or something like that? I mean... They're crazy cheap compared to the ones in the stores. Really, really That's cheap. That's all I know. And, yeah. they're, and they're, they're, they're not just cheaper, but they're better. And what more could you ask for? Harry's.com. Comics is the code. Go get yourself a nice uh, shaving kit. Get one for everyone you know. Boom. Our thanks to uh, Harry's for supporting 5 by 5 and Back to Work with Dan Benjamin. Merlin Man. Merlin Man. Wait, wait a minute. <sighs> I should have gone to the bathroom. You want to do it now? Kind of. Go. I've been drinking a lot of water. That's good. I don't do enough of that. I don't drink enough. You sound like my wife. She always says that too. I should drink more. I water. don't like it. It doesn't taste good. Huh? Did you watch the David Reese on uh, Ice Cubes? No. Dan Benjamin, you need to go and watch all the episodes of uh, Going Deep with David Reese, and you learn about like why water tastes the way it tastes. In the show, it's just MacGuffins all the way down, and it's a terrific show. And you learn that like pure water actually tastes really bad. It's kind of slimy because it doesn't have any minerals and stuff in it. Do you have good water in Austin, Dan? Yes, it's very good. In, we have in very Austin. good water in, in San Francisco. We're very fortunate. I heard New York is good, but it's got those little microbe uh, guys in it. 
Well, that's why they got good bagels and pizza, right? Yeah. Hmm. I put that in it. That's a National Geographic. Yes. Okay. The one last night, which I haven't watched yet, was on, um, it's on climbing trees. I would say start with the first one. Start with the ice episode. It's really good. All right. Yeah. So thank you to uh, David Reese for supporting. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go to the bathroom. Hit a marker. All right. Hey, Dan. How's it going? Mm, pretty good. Hmm. All the stuff that I think is interesting about this would end up sounding like some kind of veiled judgment of you, and I wouldn't mean it to. You can judge. I don't care. No, no, no. See, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying is it's absolutely not that. Um, but, um, yeah, I, you see, I, I'm not saying you did anything, you right? But like, I, I don't know, I'm starting to think more about stuff where like thinking we did the right thing isn't always enough. Like it, it isn't, it isn't enough in the sense that there are people who are going to be acting totally, you know, crazy town banana pants all the time. And we have no way of like stopping that. You know, like if you try and reason with somebody who's actually unhinged, like, you know, that's like, like I say, wrestling with a pig, right? You know that term. You yeah. know that from Florida, right? Yeah, that's where we used to live. You both get dirty and the pig likes it. <laughs> that's a great phrase. Here's the thing, Dan. <laughs> if you got a pig in your house and you enjoy wrestling, why don't you just get cable? <laughs> um, I heard a thing on uh, our local KQED on forum a few weeks ago talking about um, microaggressions, which I think is such an interesting idea and something I, I feel like I, well, what is a microaggression? So there's, there's stuff out there like blatant racism, um, blatant sexism, the kinds of things where like, even by like 1965 standards, like, whoa, you just don't say stuff like that. Right. There's the kind of stuff where like, just, just completely objectionable stuff that is just categorically racist, sexist, or whatever. Then you got the stuff that's a little bit more casual, right? You get into your, your Washington Redskins and whatnot, and now people are starting to come around the idea. That's maybe not such a nice thing to call people. But then you've also got these things that I, I'm fascinated by the idea of microaggression, which is when you, as the person with the cannon in this case, does or says something that you think of as being like, hey... <laughs> I'm not only not being racist or sexist, I'm actually being polite when I put it that way. Mm. But it's a way of, you know, it's along the lines of, you know, you don't sweat much for a fat girl. Like you think it's a compliment, right? But that's not really how it reads. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I think I do that um, sometimes for comedic effect, but sometimes unintentionally. And I, I can certainly see, think of the, of the me from junior high or the me from college or the me from my mid to late 20s, where like I thought of myself as a very progressive person but I think I still did a lot of stuff that was not as progressive as I thought it was. Not in what my beliefs were, not in who I voted for, but in how I actually treated other people. And I and now looking back at that, I can think of things I've done in the past that seemed very better than every other guy in the office, but it still wasn't really all that great. I still wasn't really being that nice to people. I was, <laughs> you know, like, it's along the lines of like having a black friend kind of thing. Hey, this is my black friend. You know, like it's it's not really helping anybody. So, not that you did that, but I am interested, very interested in the idea of whether or not one is on the right or wrong side of history on a given day. I'm interested in the idea of things we don't even know we're doing that other people find objectionable, and and sometimes, I mean, it could be stuff like somebody in the office who chews really loud. It could be um, somebody who, again, parks in the uh, disabled space. It could be somebody, everybody else is really dogged about taking 55 minutes for lunch and this person takes an hour and 15 minutes. 
I don't know. Um, I'm always in, intrigued by that idea of like the cataracts that make it difficult for us to see what we're doing that other people might be bothered by. Do you know what I mean? No, I do. I really that's important. Do. That's important to you. It's important to me. We don't, we don't want to be cheese balls. Like we don't want to be somebody who's causing harm to use your term. Right. Yeah. So sometimes, don't you think sometimes it's kind of hard to know? Like in this case, you're driving yourself crazy. You're pulling your hair out trying to figure out what you did to make Bike Boy mad. That's right. And that's, that, that's frustrating. No, it's very frustrating. And, you know, you, you as a, uh, it, it's not, you mentioned before, it's not so much I feel that other people look at me and think that I'm doing the right thing as much as, you know, what Mr. Miyagi said, like, it, as long as you know that you've done the right thing and, and you can be sure of that or at least fairly confident in it, then that, that's all that really matters. So for me, like, I just, you know, because the, the main thing is I don't want to do this again. I don't want to do it wrong again. So like, will I pass a guy on that street on a bike in the same way? No, I'm not going to do that again. So in that sense, he wins because he taught me the lesson that he wanted to teach me and not do that. Um, but in a way, like, yeah, I would like to rip, I would some, like, it, I don't, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about this. It's not haunting me or anything. Uh, but I would like to like tell the guy like, Hey, tell me what I did wrong. And like, give me the chance to apologize. But, you know, having that kind of strong emotional reaction. And I do see people frequently in the business world or where else having these strong emotional reactions. And this go, I think goes back to one of our early episodes where you talk about just a guy sitting in a room, you know, like, I remember having these strong emotional reactions to things that uh, because we don't have lions and bears chasing us in the regular world, we sort of, you know, create these high stress situations, these high anxiety situations when it really isn't called for based on what's happening, what's really happening was because at, I can I can say this. I, I can I, I, ab, I know this with absolute certainty. Uh he was not in any physical danger at any time. If he had wiped out on his bike unrelated to what I was doing, I would have been so far away from physically coming in any con. There was no danger for him. I may have done the wrong thing. I'm not sure, but I mean, let's say I did. There, there was no danger in this situation. He was never at risk of bodily harm or physical damage to his bike. You know what I'm saying? Like right. it wasn't a close call. It, it, and and that amount of stress and anger and that strong reaction that he had was beyond the uh, uh, what I would call a reasonable reaction for the situation. And that if he wanted me to learn that what I did was wrong, that there are other more effective ways that he could have communicated that. And an example of that, you know, like – Yelling, I don't know about, about you, but yelling at my kids is never as effective. It might be more effective to get them to, to stop doing something that, that if they keep doing it, something really awful will happen. But uh, aside from the surprise factor of stop doing that, um, that, that yelling at them never works as much as clearly talking to them and explaining something to them. Um, you know what I'm saying? Just yelling mm-hmm. at your kids. They don't learn when you yell at them. They learn when you explain or when they, they, they understand the situation as to why what they were going to do could be dangerous or whatever, grabbing the knife and running with it, you know. Um, so like – but that's the thing I think about. It, was, it wasn't effective. It was not – it was only effective in rattling me. It was right. not effective in helping me understand the situation in any way and – 
Uh, and I just, I go back and I think in my own life, like there are plenty of things where I'll get, I'll find, I'll learn something or, oh, this thing didn't work or this didn't happen or this should have been done and wasn't as an employer or whatever else. I have opportunities every day to potentially get angry about something that didn't go the way that I thought it should have gone, but nobody benefits from that. It, I don't mm -hmm. benefit as the person who's harboring and sending, putting out the anger. The people who I'm you know, working with who might have made a mistake or something, although nobody that works with me makes mistakes ever, no, um, you know, making them feel bad for the mistake is not going to teach them a lesson. They won't make that mistake if you're like, oh my gosh. How can we fix this? Because this is this. Look what we have to do now. Like that's bad enough. They already feel bad. You yeah. know, I, if if I had realized I'd done something wrong, like I'm all I'm as a human. You know, like I'm going to feel bad if I did something wrong. So that mm -hmm. that it didn't warrant. And that's kind of what I, I kind of made me think about a lot. Also in, in life is like, how much am I overreacting to that? I don't have to overreact to in general, just across the board. Well, this is what makes this complicated for me is I, I really feel um, I'm, I have not been a big bike rider for a long time, but I, I feel like I've been at two pretty far ends of the continuum and been equally emotional in, in both cases. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to turn this into like a storytelling exercise, but, but just honestly, like straight up, two things in my neighborhood where it's a mostly, I mostly walk in the neighborhood or take public transit, two things that happen in my neighborhood a lot, a lot, a lot. And if you don't believe me or don't trust me or you don't like my numbers, listeners, I don't know what to tell you except from my anecdotal experience with this and what I've noticed anyway, there are two things that happen a lot. On the one end, as a pedestrian or as a, as a public transit rider, I see a lot of people behaving very unsafely um, around public transit. So, you know, again, whether that's doing stuff like, you know, parking in the bike lane or parking in the, in the bus lane and stuff like in the bus, you know, spot. Yeah, that's really frustrating because now in the middle of 19th Avenue, which is actually a highway, people have to, you know, get out in the middle of a highway instead of having the benefit of stepping onto the, onto the sidewalk. That's really, that's really bad news and very selfish. And that pro person probably had no idea that they were doing something that selfish or they just mm -hmm. didn't care. In either case, the, the fact is their car is there. The, the bus can't go there. Nothing changes. Who's good and bad in the world? It doesn't matter. Um, I've also seen, as I said, a lot of stuff where like, you know, driving down one of the streetcar lines, somebody will just not even, maybe if you're not even, like let's say you're not from around here, where you just think about the streetcar as being a thing that takes people from one place to another far away place. You're not aware that it stops every street or every other right. street. Yeah. You might actually blow full speed into that right lane on the right of the streetcar, you may not even know like how much, like what a tragedy you're about to cause by not even knowing to hit the brakes. Cause some, cause a bunch of teenage kids are going to jump out without even looking. And that's going to be a tragedy for dozens of people when that happens. So I get crazy mad because you know who has the cannon then the guy in the white pickup truck who's trying to, who peels out to get to his next contracting gig while I'm standing there with my, with my daughter's heart pounding. So that's, that's why I'm sympathetic in that case to Bike Boy, because when that other person is gone, that is super frustrating. You didn't even have the chance to say you were mad, let alone to say that like you just endangered these people right. and, and really blatantly broke the law. And I can see that you're about to do it again at the next stop because that's just a thing you do. Mm -hmm. Just knowing that's out there is scary. Ready for the other end of the continuum? Yeah. I'm sorry, bike guys. You know what I thought your story was going to be? Mm. I thought it was going to be what happens in my neighborhood 50 times a day. People going on 20th <laughs> Avenue, right. which is the bike route, who I don't, I can't believe that their brakes have ever even been used because they just blow mm. right through 
every stop sign. They might slow down a little bit, but it, I think it is not unusual. I, I don't want to cast aspersions. I have so many friends who ride bikes and they have their reasons, but I just cannot believe how many people on bikes blow through a stop sign without even stopping. This is so boring. But what I'm trying to say here is like the, the only thing that makes those two things in common is like I get emotional about it and I'm mad and I wish somebody could learn a lesson. I'm, I'm very tempted to like jam on the accelerator and go find that person on the bike and like tell them what's what. Like that's the kind of thing I should even do. But I, I, you know what I mean? So on the one hand, I've been that person who, uh, where the other person had the cannon, the person who's flying through in their, in their pickup truck that I'll, they'll never see me again. I'm very tempted to throw a handful of change at them just to get their attention. And then on the other hand, I just want to say to the person on the bike blowing through the stop sign, hey, look, you know, I realize you got places to be, but like, do you have any idea how many people you endanger when you blow through a stop sign on a busy street? Like, you may not even know how many wrecks you've caused because you're already, you know. So, um, I, I, all I know is I, I sympathize with, with that frustration of being the person where something happened. But I certainly also know the frustration of going like, why are you yelling at me? Like, what did I do? Right. Like, I, you know, and I don't, the only consolation I can find of that, that is to go like, well, I don't know. I guess I, the thing is not every moment is teachable, except in as much as it can help us to understand that like we can drive ourselves crazy with thinking about stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you want to learn. You want to get better, right? I mean, not even in this, just this one instance, but, like, if I kept doing something that was really stupid, like, you know, if so, somebody who keeps burning the coffee pot by not turning the coffee pot off when it's done, like, that has a bad effect on the office. Oh, yeah. It makes it stink. You're killing the coffee pots, and it lowers morale because there's this one person there who thinks the entire office is their mom, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry, this isn't really going anywhere good. But I, I, I'm sympathetic because I, I, I am a ruminator, and... I'm not saying you're like this, but in that instance, that's exactly the kind of thing I might think about for six months and go like, why am I still feeling bad about this thing? Like, I'm pretty sure I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm equally as freaked out by the fact that I might've done something wrong and I don't even know what it is. And all I know is I hate people yelling at me. It's a miserable, it's a miserable feeling. Being yelled at. Being yelled at. And especially when you feel like, you know, hey, why are you, why are you yelling at me? You know, a classic thing, like uh, the, the light changes. And I, there are people, you know, taxi drivers, I guess somewhat famously, but there are people who will always hit the horn three cars back when the light turns green, mm. no matter how long it's been since the light changed. Because that's just a thing they do. You know what I mean? And that spreads so much bad feeling among people like, and so much unnecessary animosity. Okay, so it's, you know, red, 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 green. Like how long, how long is okay to wait? Let's say you're, there's a car at the stoplight in front of you. The light changes. It's green. You're behind that person. Nobody else around. My, my secret rule of thumb that I think I learned about from a shell brochure as a child, um, a little less than a second per 10 miles per hour of the, of the, um, perpendicular lane. So if the other lane is somebody going about 40 miles an hour, I'll, I'll wait. I might, I might wait three or four seconds before mm-hmm. I go. Because, especially here, again, 19th Avenue, like people will just blow through red lights. It doesn't matter. Like Three people will blow through a red light. And like, ah, you know, I'm never so busy that I can't wait a minute for that. Yeah. And, you know, I understand because there's somebody behind me three or four cars back. I mean, this is, this is the world, right? Hakuna Matata. There's somebody three or four cars behind me who's trying to idiotically make a left turn on the 19th Avenue in this case. And uh, they're super frustrated because they may not even get the chance because there's two people in front of them who want to make a left turn. Now everybody's mad. <sighs> 
Dan, did you want to tell me about something you like? Let, 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 let's bring some levity to this. Yeah. By talking about a consumer experience that is unparalleled for our <laughs> listeners. Hey, that what is, <laughs> what, 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 what's the kind of thing that's going to be a game changer for these kids? It's going to be Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, Linda. L-Y-N-D-A.com. These guys, they help you learn and keep up to date with, uh, with everything, whether it's software, learning a new skill, exploring hobbies, maybe bike riding, doesn't matter. You go there and you're going to get tips on the latest online tools. You're going to learn the skills you need to increase productivity. You could, you could do anything with these guys. Why? Because they make what, what I would call screencasts. These are things you go, you go onto Linda, you log in, and you have access to over 2,400 courses taught by industry experts. They're adding more every single week. And they have courses for all experience levels. You're a beginner, sure. Intermediate, okay. Advanced, if you think so. <laughs> Always have something to learn. So be it. So be it. You go there and you can watch these things. You can watch. You're not paying by the course. You pay for a monthly subscription. You get access to everything. And it's such a great way to learn because you get to see the pros who know how to teach, teach. You want to learn getting things done? Well, they got a, uh, David Allen on there showing you how to do it. Like, he's smart. He's really super smart. He's pretty smart. smart and he knows his stuff. And you can go and you can watch these courses that teach you this. You want to learn how to use Google Docs. They've got that. Final Cut Pro. You want to be a podcaster and learn how to edit stuff. Like they've got really, really, really great courses on all of this stuff. It's all visual. It's all up to date. They're always adding more. And uh, and, and you can go there, lynda.com. And you can sign up for this. You can do this month to month. You can sign up for a whole year. And you can download this stuff. To your iPhone, your iPad, you can watch them offline. You could go, here's what, here's what I'm going to say is, people mm. are always want to, they always want to, you know, improve their careers. They go, they, they, they go to an interview and on the interview, they, the person says, listen, we're really looking for somebody who can do, you know, the latest version of Final Cut Pro. And you think to yourself, hmm, I only know the older version. By the time that you've started your job, you now have become a master of Final Cut Pro by using Linda. Now you've got the dream job you wanted. Thanks, Lynda.com. Boom. It's just an idea. You're going to have to run with that. Go to Linda. Maybe you're in the lobby. You're in the lobby. Yeah. You know you're going to get interviewed about this. You pull out your phone. You start doing some videos. You can be ready by the time you walk in. By the time you're in there, you've already become a master. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, Linda.com slash back to work will give you a seven-day free trial. During that time, you have access to everything. You can watch as many videos as you want. You can master as many skills as you want. And, uh, and, and I'm willing to bet that you're going to love it. I'm willing to bet that you will, uh, you will enjoy what you learn and that you'll be better for it. So go check it out. Support the show. Linda, lynda.com slash back to work, seven-day free trial. Thank you very much, to Linda, for making this show possible. Linda.com slash back to work. Spelled out. Boom. Mm, 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 mm. Hmm. Um, last week... We talked about, um, this is somewhat tangential, but kind of related. Last week we talked about Robin Williams a lot. Yeah. And People, uh, that, that show, by the way, I, 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 we got a lot of feedback from about that. Yes, on Twitter. and I couldn't the, tell what people liked about it. No, I no, I'm not, I'm not sandbagging. I just, I, I don't know, like, did they like the Robin Williams part or the uh, cognitive behavioral uh, massacre part? I didn't like the whole thing. Mm. In toto. Yes. <laughs> no, they did. I think they liked the whole thing. I'm. It always. We've talked about this before. I'm always curious 
Because when we go in, I know you prepare a lot uh, and you have the notes and stuff, but when we veer off of, of your prepared statements, I think it's really, I don't know why, but I, I think those shows where we don't plan as much, people are really, uh, they enjoy them a lot. I've, I've done that like four times ever. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Okay. Um, so um, as long as I'm, uh, as long as you're beating up on me for my preparation of your podcast, um, <laughs> there was a good thing. Um, I thought it was really nice. Like a little a 10 minute thing David Letterman did about Robin Williams. It's in show notes. Um, it was, it was really nice. Um, so that's, that's in show notes. <laughs> uh, the thing that's somewhat tangentially related, I was, uh, as you could tell by my dithering last week, which is very unusual for me. I'm not usually a ditherer. Mm, I was trying to come up with uh, some stuff related to the way that thoughts, uh, feelings, and behavior relate. I was Googling very quickly. And then I thought, oh, I was remembering that phrase, thought stopping. And I landed on this article that I wanted to hate. It's the, the number one Google return for thought stopping. Mm. It's called Thought Stopping, uh, It Makes Worry Worse, or Thought Stopping, Why It Works and Why You Should Do Something Else. Ugh. So I land there and I look at this thing. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. And I look at it. And then there's like, it's, you know, it's a little, you know, self-help article from Dr. Dave Carbonell. That's probably not how he pronounces it. But uh, Dr. Dave had this thing. And, um... There was a phrase here that really grabbed me. Basically, the idea in thought stopping is that you become aware that there are, I don't want to use that phrase invasive thoughts because I think that means something specific. Mm. Like you worry that you're going to harm your kids. But if you've got troubling or uh, if you like obsessive thoughts that keep coming back to you and you know it's something you can or won't or shouldn't do anything about, there's a school of thought that says you should get good at acknowledging that you're having that thought in a mindful way and then gently stopping having that thought, right? And this is where we, again, talk about things like snapping the rubber band. You could do that for smoking cessation too. You can do it for all kinds of stuff. But the idea is that thought stopping is this thing. Um, I mentioned this here because obviously this is something that's been on your mind and uh, I don't really have anything useful to say, so I'm jumping to this old topic. <laughs> um, but I, and I was like, huh, I don't know. Thought stopping seems like kind of a good idea to me. But, you know... It's, it's sort of like, as I've spent more time thinking about and reading about and learning about these kinds of things, it's almost like the difference between like self-hypnosis and meditation, which I used to think were very closely related, and now I realize they're not. Like in some ways, like self-hypnosis is this way of trying to like, re, like actively recondition the way that you think. You know, a, a kind of fake it till you make it, if you like. And I'm not saying it doesn't work, because it has. It's worked for me. I mean, I know people who people who are very close to me who couldn't stop smoking for 30 years who went to one self-hypnosis class and stopped. So, but wow. it is weird. It's a different way of approaching it. And I think it's very, in the same way that meditation, you know, we talk about the concern of people thinking meditation is about trying to fall asleep or zone out. Right, right. Or it get zen like chocolate. Um, <laughs> you still remember that. Zen out, zone out or zen out. I'll never forget that you saying that. Um, have you have you ever been? I'm not. I'm not asking this as a joke. Have you ever been like hypnotized or or been to a like hip, hypnotherapist or anything? No. I have, but it was very weird. No, I haven't. And I, I but I, I did get interested in self hypnosis and got some tapes and stuff. And I actually found it really helpful. Um, but it's interesting because I'm, now I'm, there's a tangent to the tangent already. But to me, I think about self hypnosis or hypnosis in general as being a way of trying to understand that there are more positive things that you want to think or be. 
And then sort of manually inserting those in a way through repetition and relaxation that allows those ideas to start seeming more natural to you. And like they say in AA, right? You fake it till you make it. That like, if you want to be a more self-confident person, you need things like, um, you need to kind of excise this old bad thought and replace it with a good thought and be able to become this person that you can imagine yourself being. And I think that's easy to confuse with meditation where I think people think meditation is a thing where you're supposed to sit there and make yourself relaxed and to make yourself this and to make yourself that. And then they get frustrated because they haven't gotten the idea that it's, it's really about sitting and really about just being there with whatever comes along and with acceptance and, you know, loving kindness and things like that. Right. And that's why this thought stopping article grabbed me. Um, you know, it's real easy to read, but he says, uh, two things that I loved. one of his headlines here, he says, it doesn't work because don't treat, he says, don't treat thoughts like objects. I thought that was such an interesting idea. To explain that. Don't treat don't thought treat, like... Well, let me read what Dr. Dave says. Yeah. He says, uh, take a look around in a small area, pick up a cup, ashtray, he's a smoker, uh, frame photograph, um, take it someplace in your home, right? Remove it from the room you occupy and put, come back to here. You're able to do that, right? Think of the object you remove, picture what it looks like, what it's used for. Now do some thought stopping. Remove all thoughts of the object from your mind. Don't think of it for three minutes. Say stop to yourself. And he says, it's not so easy, right? And so he's saying, stop trying to think of your thoughts as objects. Because the thing is, if you hide that object and you're the one who hid it in the house, like (laughs) you still know where you hid it, right? The idea that your brain is still going to keep thinking that thought and you may actually have a kind of aversion to that thought that makes it worse. This is why I say, in something like meditation, the idea is not to, it's, it isn't that you're trying to not think something, it's that you're trying to have an overabundance of acceptance about saying, it's okay that this is a thing that I'm thinking about. I am just looking at this thing. So on the one hand, you know, I think it's interesting to start thinking of your thoughts as a thing that aren't you. But it isn't your thoughts that define you. It isn't like, as I've said before, it isn't like you equals equals thoughts. I think that's really valuable. But I think it's all, also interesting that when when thoughts or these memories, in your case, when those start to become really invasive is the point when we've invested so much power in them over time. We've allowed them entry into the you know sort of front of our thinking so many times that we kind of feel like we can't shut the door on it anymore. So we, we've actually turned it into this kind of like psychotic traveling salesman who's allowed to put his foot in the door anytime it feels like it. So anyway, I just, I don't know how I feel about that, but I love that phrase, don't treat thoughts like objects. Second thing he said that I thought was really great, so hacky, but it's so good. He says, treat worry like a heckler, not a mugger. So if you think about if you're performing on stage, the way that like somebody yelling out at you from the audience would be really different from somebody coming up to you with a handgun and asking for your wallet. And it's kind of up to us in thinking about our, in sort of interpreting how our thoughts should have an effect on what we do or feel. It's kind of up to us to decide whether that's allowed to be just, whether it's actually a mugger that stops us in our tracks or it's a heckler that we just have to deal with. Mm. Isn't that kind of interesting? It's very interesting. Uh, I, know whole, it's che- I know it's cheesy, but isn't that kind of a, that's a nice reframe of a complicated idea? No, gosh, it really is because it seems like one of the things that I, I've often heard, I'm not saying I subscribe to this, but is the opposite, is that thoughts are objects, that they're these things that you create and put out into the into the world and 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 they have this sort of tangible uh, uh tangible thing. And and you try, you know, I know that and so much of like the OCD realm of things is about 
this struggle with your thoughts of like, did I do this? Should I do this? Could I, you know, that, that, that these things seem very, very real. There's always that technique when you, you, when you're dwelling on something. And I know a lot of people, uh, you know, if, if you, if you're going back, oh man, I do that. I should have said this. I I so ruminate. Yeah. Uh, They say that there's this technique that you should imagine, uh, that situation. So let's say, let's say your 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 uh, your kid accidentally, uh, you know, knocks the uh, the apple pie onto the floor, ruins the whole thing, or the iPhone in the toilet, or the or water the, in the MacBook Air. Yeah. Hypothetically, you would in you, and you say, oh man, maybe you yell at your kid for that. We didn't, but let's say you did, and then you say, man, I shouldn't have done that. That was I should have just talked to them about it and whatever. And and you start feeling really really bad about it, and and you can't seem to get it out of your head. You can't seem to move past it. What there's this technique that says, well, imagine that 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 you've taken a snapshot of that moment and that it is now a picture in a picture frame hung up on the wall. And visualize that every time you think about it instead of reliving it and it's supposed to give you some I kind of see. distance. You know, and I, No, I, I totally get it. I see why you say it would be like an object. But in that sense, it's really don't think of it when you say object, that would be like understand your thoughts to not be this ineffable um part of you. That, that constitutes who you are, it's almost seeing it as an, uh, another thing that's not just strictly you. In that yeah. case, that makes sense. You know, to me, it's almost like thinking like, if you are going to decide that your thoughts are an object, maybe the object to land on is that they are water. So huh. they can exist in three different states. They could be uh, a really uncomfortable, cold bucket of water that's going right over your head and freaking you out. It could be ice cubes that somebody's lobbing at your face, or it could be something you've decided is just a gas that's going to float away when Mm -hmm. it gets warm, Mm -hmm. right? To me, that's the kind of thing where like, I know that's all real hippy dippy kind of ways to look at it, but, but you know, I, I, the, there's like two levels, at least two levels to this, to me, like there's that level of like, you know, how much we can torture ourselves with whatever it is that has happened or not happened and trying to figure out why it happened or whether it happened. And you start to feel like a crazy person because you just turn that over, over and over and over and over your mind. And I, I think that's, that's an awful way to be. And I am that way a lot. But like, it's just strange how there's this higher up level where I could go, well, you know, I just have to accept that that's a thing that I'm doing. And then if I don't like the way that makes me feel or I don't like what I'm thinking... The way the place to change that is not at the level of rifling through those same pages over and over. That there's got to be another approach that will, you know, it, it becomes compulsive because it, you know, it, in a way, it really is not about whether or not the oven is on. It's really about you worrying about whether the oven is on. And when you can realize that those are two different things, you've really made you've made such a leap. You know, every every. A lot of my favorite Buddhist speakers will say this this thing. It's one this is again the second era, right? We're always back to this. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to feel anxious, and it's a terrible thing to feel anxious about how anxious you are. It's another thing to feel sad. It's one thing to feel sad. And then it, it really is a different thing then to feel incredibly sad about how sad you are. And that before you can ever get rid of that, the wherever that sadness started or wherever any of those um bad emotions come from, you have to at least acknowledge, if not accept, that there's the second emotion about how you feel, your relationship to those things. And I, I hate to say, I hate to keep coming back to this thing because it's real eye-rolling kind of stuff, mm. but I think it's transformative to start to realize how much being a smart person can put you in the ground. How much, like all of that being caught up in your own stuff 
will never let you have a moment's peace until you're aware that you're the one on some level who's generating all of that activity. You're the one that's making yourself or helping yourself continue to feel bad about feeling bad. And now I sound like a self-help speaker and I apologize. But like even, just sounds so dumb, but just realize that. Whether you decide to change it or not, but just be aware that you're not just sad, you're sad about being sad. You're lonely about being lonely. Like being aware of those things, like can I get a little smile when I realize that. It doesn't make it go away forever, but I get a breath. Like it, as uh, Gil says, you get spaciousness about it. Right. You get a certain, you get, you get a little break to go, oh, I see what I was doing there. I should not keep doing that. I don't want to feel bad about feeling bad about feeling bad. That's not taking me where I want to go. Right. See, that's the, but that's the thing of the second arrow that's so tricky because we do it and we do it on so many levels. Who's not going to feel bad about something? Uh, Jean Jeff always talks about the fact that like you should spend no time feeling regret or remorse. Like you, you know, and, and the first time you hear something like that, you're like, well, I thought that like being a better person would be feeling bad about something that you did that wasn't good. In other words, something you did that was wrong or caused harm, like you should, you're saying I shouldn't feel bad about that. But when you listen or read more from, from what he's written, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you should think about the thing that you did. And, uh, and, and once you understand it, you can say, okay, I, I, now I understand what I did and I'm, I, I'm not going to do that again. Vow to not do that thing again. Learn from it. But once you've, once you've said that to yourself and fully, in a fully cognizant way, kind of embraced the fact that you're not going to do that again, there, you can no longer benefit from replaying that that scenario. You can no longer benefit from rerunning that situation over and over and over in your head or dwelling mm-hmm. on it. And somehow we almost feel, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but we almost feel like when we've done something wrong, we should sort of, we should be punished for it or we should punish ourselves no, you're, it's for like it. You're giving, no, it's like you're giving yourself, you're the judge giving yourself this sentence that, you know, you screwed up and now your, your penance or your sentence for that is that you're never allowed to, like, to move forget- on. Right. You're yeah. never allowed to forget about it, let alone get better at it. And the the problem, which is, you know, that's kind of how we all feel when we're 14, 15, 16. And that's, but it's, some of us never really outgrow it, including myself. But the trouble is there's nothing particularly heroic about feeling bad all the time. That's not helping anybody, including you. I mean, seriously, it's not actually helping anybody else. If you don't think you're allowed to get better at stuff because you're not done feeling like a tool about it, that's not helping anybody. The more heroic thing, it's like, you know, I've actually, there's one old bromide that I've said to my daughter, and I I don't want to say it too much because I don't want it to become a cliche, but I think it's true. And it's just because I need to hear it sometimes is that, you know, like they say, courage, courage is not doing stuff. Courage is not a matter of doing things um, just be, how can I put this? What's the right way to put this? Courage is about doing stuff, not in basically in spite of being scared of it. Like doing, do, it's not, it's not a matter of not having fear or not having uh, doubt. It's a question of having fear and doubt and still trying to find a way to keep doing it, even though you have extreme fear and doubt about it. And I, I, that never occurred to me until I was probably in my 30s, mm. that difference. I thought people who were like heroes and superheroes were people who just never experienced fear, right? But, you know, that's, that's what makes the best antiheroes or heroes are the people who, uh, 
even with their head about them, are able to do stuff. I don't know where I'm going with this. I, I don't. But um, but I but I do know it's really easy to talk yourself into a lot of stuff. And I know, I mean, I, there's all kinds of things. We've talked about this a lot on Roderick on the Line, having those thoughts of like, just what you're describing, which yeah. is like, uh, like, like in John's case, he's like, oh, that guy with the hand tattoo at the bar 20 years ago. I can't believe what I said to that guy. Like you still think about right, it. Like, and you keep what, playing oh, those tapes over in your head. The tapes. Until, yeah, the tapes. The worst. Yeah. Uh, Annie, Annie Lamott calls it, she refers to it in Bird by Bird. I think she calls it something like the jukebox with the greatest hits of my failure. You know, you just keep playing those same records over and over and over again. So, I mean, I, there's, I, there's no way that like listening to a, a rambling podcast could make you feel better. If there's only one thing to take away, I think, whether you're Dan or me or whomever, is that there is something, there's something bracing to catching yourself thinking about your thoughts and being aware and then laughing at yourself a little bit. If you aren't laughing at yourself about it yet, you're not done thinking. <laughs> you're mm-hmm. not done. Right. If you're still feeling super serious and then more serious or about it, just remember that like at any point, you could choose to think about that differently in a different way. You could choose to think not to think about it at all. That will not work in the long run because you know where you hit the ashtray. But there's something very uh, liberating about being aware that you're the thinker of your thoughts. You know, and as many times as I've said that on here, I got to say it again because I got to remember it. But, you know, sometimes that can get you through a bad day you know, it's like I say to my daughter sometimes, again, because I need to hear it too, is just remember, like, it's, it's, there's not a lot to gain from deciding that the world has made you sad or that the world has been hard on you. Because mm-hmm. we all feel that way, like a lot of the time. But just remember, whether you believe me right now or not, you always have the opportunity to decide that you're going to feel less bad about something. And that might not, that, that's not something that's going to happen in 15 seconds. But and again, it's like, what do they call it? Meta. It's like it's like a kind of loving kindness that you want to give to the entire world that starts with yourself. It's hard it's hard to have to treat anybody decently if you think you're kind of a jerk. And so it starts with going like, you know what, even though I don't deserve it, I should get other breaks in life mm-hmm. starting with me. Mm-hmm. Now, let's all uh, hold hands and sing kumbaya. <laughs> You want to tell me about uh, something uh, something great? Yeah, our last great thing is uh is a, a very cool uh new new thing that's come out that uh that that we've been checking out. It's data anywhere. It's by this company called Veronis, and uh, this is this is what they do that that's really cool. It's the fastest way to make your own network shares. Okay, so you've got it. You're like an IT person. You've got your own network. You've got your own stuff. You can turn these existing shares, this existing infrastructure network you have, into like a Dropbox style secure enterprise class private cloud. So you get mobile access. You get file synchronization. You get secure third party sharing. You get all of this stuff, so that the users that are out there in the world. The ones that you want to give access to, you can give them things like FileSync, just like Dropbox has, you know, mobile access. And you do this all without changing your IT infrastructure, without moving data. Oh, well, we've got to upload it to this other third-party service that we sure hope will be around in a year. No, it's yours. It's your service. And, uh, and you do this all without, like, changing permissions. Users that are familiar with the way you guys work, they just keep working that way. It just gets better. Everything is secured. Everything's backed up and reliable. Why change everything? Move, like, terabytes of files to... The cloud, when you can just sync directly with your existing storage, and that's what it lets you do. You've already got file servers. You already got NAS. You keep all this stuff, and it syncs. It syncs up with Windows, Mac, iOS, Android. It's all secure, and it takes like 20, 30 minutes to get it going. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to go there, there. The website is at Veronis, V-A-R-O-N-I-S, veronis.com slash back to work, all spelled out. 
And if this sounds interesting to you, and it should, if you've got real data and users that want to get to it and, and you trust yourself more than uh, lots of other uh, companies out there that come and go, go, go check these guys out as a special bonus for Back to Work listeners. You go to this URL, Veronis, V-A-R-O-N-I-S dot com slash, uh, I almost said quit, back mm. to, slash back to work. Five users free forever. What? Yes. Veronis.com sure slash back right? to work. Five users free. Five. Go check it out. This is a really, really cool system. If you guys are, uh, you know, you, you question authority the way that Merlin and I do, you're going you're gonna to like these guys. So, uh, so go there and, and, and check it out. V-A-R-O-N-I-S.com slash back to work. Five users free forever. That sounds like a godsend. It's like- really nice. And this is the way we're going, you know. You want to know that you've spent all this time configuring all this stuff in your own infrastructure. Why not just get all the benefits of of these tools that we use of syncing, of file syncing, security, backups? It, it's all there. Yeah. Go check them out. Well, our, our thanks to uh, Veronis uh, for supporting 5 by 5 and Back to Work with Dan Benjamin. Merlin Mann. I don't know. At the end, at the end of the day, what I, what I think we're saying is we something happens and then we torture ourselves over it. That's yeah. kind of, I've just summarized, I think, everything I was trying to say. Because it, you know, why do we replay this thing? Like, I can still remember stuff like John talks about on the other, I'm not really familiar with it, the other program that uh, yes. you guessed on. Um, you know, it's like you replay these things like tapes in your head and it's are you punishing yourself? Are you feeling bad about it? What can't we just learn from it and then move on to the next thing? You know, it's it. You know, like again, think about this. If your if your kid makes a mistake, because kids are learning, right? We know they're learning. We're parents. We know they're learning. If your kid makes a mistake, and you say, "Listen, you're not going to get. I'm making this up. You're not going to get your allowance this week because, you know, when." When I said it was time to be done with the iPad and come to dinner, you didn't you didn't stop playing it. I asked you three times. You still said no, no allowance this week or no iPad tomorrow or whatever the consequence is, right? Right. You you, you give them a consequence. They make a choice to ignore you. Well, that, here's the consequence coming. But I'm not, <laughs> once that's done, like the next day, once that's in the past, once they've, they've paid their price, right, you're not going to be like – Oh, remember that time when I said to come to the table and you didn't? You lost your iPad? Yeah, I remember that too. I remember that pretty well. No, there's oh, no, no reason you want to give do them the chance. You want to give them the chance to, to you know, it's like training you dogs. Wanna, yeah, you have to ask about this. You, you reward the good stuff and ignore the bad stuff. Sometimes yeah. you can't ignore the bad stuff, but I, th- I do believe you get a lot further by not trying to shame people into better behavior. <laughs> yeah, but then what? Has that know, ever worked but we, on do, but look at what we do to ourselves. What do we do to I ourselves? Agree. We constantly remind ourselves of the, of the screw-ups, and we. it's not that we forget the good stuff. I'm sure we remember that, but... You know, why are we thinking about something that happened two or three or four years ago, especially when it, you know, it, it is something that wasn't that significant so often that we replay these I, things that are meaningless? I think I know why. I mean, I, this is it's a really simple answer, which is that given a certain context or a certain state of mind or a certain situation, emotions become like armor piercing bullets that something that has no, no matter how big or small a thing is, if there's something you weren't expecting to go a certain way it went a certain way and it unhinged you briefly emotionally, I think it's almost impossible for most people to just let that go. Unless they really are clinically like psychotic. I think if you see something, that's like me talking about seeing that dog hitting the road. That was so emotionally 
uh, has such a huge emotional impact. The idea of feeling for a second like my kid might die in front of a Kentucky Fried Chicken because somebody didn't want to stop for a train. Right. That made me so angry that I can still feel that anger. I can still feel that yeah. tightening in my chest. Yeah. That's why I say it's like an armor-piercing bullet because you can walk around and be the be the coolest person in the world and the most mellow and most... But some sometimes things will happen and if it involves a certain kind of emotion and you weren't expecting it at a certain time in a certain way, in that context, however you think of it, it could be embarrassment, right? Mm-hmm. Think about how much stuff where you get embarrassed about something and you go like, oh God, and you just think about that forever. We all have things like that. I think that's, I mean, I know that sounds obvious, but if it, if it weren't something that caused an emotional reaction, it's something you, you probably didn't notice it because it didn't pierce the armor right. of walking around and thinking that everything's in the homeostatic state. It's just that, you know, if you were expecting somebody to say, yes, I'll marry you, and instead they say, no, I want to break up with you, that's the kind of thing that's hard to shake because it's actually the opposite of what you expected. And now you have to rethink your whole world and what else am I seeing wrong? How crazy am I? You know, it's that emotional thing in that case. What you remember, there's, but there's, there's, there's several things you seem to remember, but it seems like there's two things that are top of mind for you. One of you is that hair trigger, and I'm using that word carefully here. It was a trigger. Something triggered in you it said, somebody's outside my car right now, <laughs> which gets your hair up on your neck. Right. And then bam, 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 bam. Mm-hmm. And you'll always remember what that feeling felt like. Right. And what that sound and all it takes is it could be something completely unrelated that sets off that thing. And now you're right back in that car wondering what the F was going on. That's right. I mean, that you know, it's like Jello Biafra says, your emotions make you a monster. <laughs> he does say that. And on that note, quoting the dead Kennedys, uh, let's button this up. I love you, Merlin Man. Oh. I love you, Dan Benjamin. Your emotions make you a monster. Your emotions make you a monster. That's pretty good, huh? Really good. Really good.